Good morning. Oh, y'all are awake for an 8.30 service. We have a 10 o'clock service and people are barely making it. 10.15. Good morning, Pastor Jake. Just one more time just to edify my soul. Good morning. Oh, man, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, um, it's great to be here. I, I, uh, I think this is critical. Uh, Pastor Larry and Pastor Danny had a come, chance to come and speak to my amazing group of people or God's, God's missional community he put right on that corner right behind Trader Joe's, which is how you have to describe where we are to everybody. <laughs> where, where's your church, Jake? Uh, it's on the corner of Grove and Redwood, right behind Trader Joe's. You know, like, everybody knows where it is right from that moment. We did this, this work statistically as we kind of formed vision in this last year about how many people in our area, our kind of geographic circle of Hayward, Castro Valley, San Lorenzo, San Leandro, really honestly find themselves in a life-on-life discipleship relationship, really engaged in a worshiping community and the generous numbers if you're being generous, are that 20% of our neighborhood really knows and loves Jesus. That leaves by the numbers roughly 160,000 people left who don't. And yet we find ourselves as churches and communities of faith competing with each other, talking bad about one another, feeling like really if someone left our community of faith and came here to Three Crosses or someone left Three Crosses to go plant a church somewhere else, that that's a loss. Do you understand that in God's economy that's not a loss? That what is a loss is that we spend our time fighting with each other, bickering with each other and focused on each other, and then all these 160,000 people that God has said, go Seek and save that which was lost. Go out into the neighborhood. Go serve. Go give yourselves away as a ransom for many. Go untouched. That's why things like this are so important, and I'm grateful, Larry, for the opportunity to be here uh, with you all amazing people so that an unbelieving world can see that those who follow Jesus, the gospel of reconciliation, actually work together. It is supernatural to unite It's very natural to remain divided, and we serve a supernatural God. Amen? Amen. Let me pray, and then we'll we'll jump into our text. God, there are so many brothers and sisters here, and I am just one of the many. Speak through me. Speak through me to our brothers and sisters. Let no one leave this place the same. God, I'm praying right now that you would open hearts to a tough message, that you would speak truth through me to our brothers and sisters and to me like you have this week with this text, speak truth to me. And let us be transformed by the word of God this morning. Let me stand behind your cross. Nothing but you, Jesus. Praise things in your name. Amen. Um, This is the part of the sermon where I'm supposed to make myself human and tell a story or two. But the, the text is so long in its ability to kind of get to it. You just have to trust me in this. I have a beautiful wife. I have four kids. And I'm very funny. <laughs> but I don't have time for jokes this morning or to show pictures. 
So we just got to get into it. I'm very funny, I promise. <laughs> um, the story this morning is the parable of the wheat and the tares. And Jesus tells this story, and he tells it right after he tells the story of the parable of the good soil. And so essentially what he does, he sets up this picture. And this picture has wheat and tares. And tares were like weeds. It was actually illegal in that time to sow tear seed in your neighbor's farm. Because it was a way, like if you and your neighbor were having a conflict, it'd be kind of be how you got to him. You know, you would walk by his property line and just toss tear seed, like over the side. And up would grow these wheat and the tares. And the wheat and the tares would grow in the same field. And they would grow, they would look almost exactly the same until at the last very minute, they would have fruit that was created at the end, like the stalk at the top of it. The way you tell the difference between the wheat and the tares, the only way is by the fruit. Wheat is life. And for that time in that culture, wheat was it, man. You use wheat for everything. We do kind of the same, though. I know in this day and age, we've genetically modified almost all of our wheat, so half of us now have to eat gluten-free. But back then, that was funny, by the way. In case you missed it, right? Wheat was life. Tares, actually, if you ate tares, if animals ate tares, it was poison. It was death. And Jesus gives this parable to say life and death are going to grow up together in some sense. And the reality of this parable is that some of us in this room, because he's talking to the church, it comes right after the parable of the good soil. Some of us in this room right now today are tares. We're actually poison to the gospel. Poison to the wheat. Some of us are tares, and some of us are in the danger of becoming tares. We're just on the edge of becoming tares, and the tares is so deadly, and it's so dangerous to life. I've been convinced of this. We're doing this sermon series at First Presbyterian Church down over here about sharing the reason for the hope we have, that the gospel is life, that we were created for two things. We were created for a relationship with God. It's so intimate, and it's so real, and it's so life-giving like it was in the garden, and we're created for a responsibility to steward our world, to steward our time and our talent and our treasure, to take care of it, to bless it, to be with it, to share the gospel in it. Do you guys realize that as the church, right now today, we have been given the cure, that the gospel is the actual life-giving cure to what ails our world? This, um, anybody know what's happening in our neighborhood next Sunday? Some people are like, yeah. Some people are like, eh. It's the Super Bowl, by the way. Right? The Super Bowl will be down in Santa Clara. You know what the Super Bowl has attached to it? Super Bowl is the number five event in the world with the most sex trafficking attached to it. Did you know that? Sex trafficking as an industry is a $32 billion industry. More than Amazon, Nike, and Google combined. Sex trafficking. If you want to know just for the sake of it, that'll just absolutely turn your, t- turn your stomach and drive you to prayer like it drives me. You know the number one and number two events? The number one and number two events with sex trafficking attached to it, with the sex trafficking at its highest, is the Republican National Convention and the Democratic National Convention. Boy, that don't make you pray. 
Do you know how to heal sex trafficking? The gospel. Somewhere today, right now at this moment, there's a man, very possibly a woman, but mostly a man, who's got some cash in his pocket. And the police will tell you in this neighborhood that between Castro Valley and Hayward, there's 18 brothels right here in our neighborhood. Right here. And there's a man somewhere in our neighborhood, 160,000, there's a, people don't know Jesus. He's going to walk in there and he's going to see a woman who's obviously underage. Or maybe not underage. But obviously they're against her will because no one signs up for that. And he's going to pay part of his $32 billion. But he wouldn't. He wouldn't do it. She wouldn't do it if she knew or he knew how much Jesus loved him. If he knew that he didn't have to fill that hole in his heart that God was intended for, the gospel that says we're made with this God-shaped hole and only Jesus can fill it. If he knew Jesus, if he knew how much God loved him and how much God chases him and how much God wants to be with him, no matter where he's been or what he's done or what's happened, he wouldn't be in that brothel. And if you take away $32 billion, guess what happens to that industry? It dies. That the gospel is actually the cure for all that ails us. It's the end of violence. It's the end of systemic racism that divides us. It's the gospel reconciliation that unites us. That if we know Jesus and how much he loves us, did you guys know this? That no matter what happens, God thinks that you're a 10. On a scale of 1 to 10, by the way. That no matter what you do, you can't come to church enough, you can't go to small group enough, you can't give enough, you can't go on mission enough, you can't do enough to ever change that dial up or down. Did you know that? And when that begins to sink in, you don't need to go to the brothel. You don't need to hate your brother. You don't need to put another class of people down. You don't need to worry about the undocumented or those folks that give us great fear. You don't worry about that because God's gotten taken. You know what it says, the scripture says? Perfect love drives out fear. There's no more fear. You have in your hands, I have in my hands the cure. God said, be wheat. You can be wheat. But unfortunately, so many of us are tares. Here's a great example. I'm going to read just a little bit from a Christianity Today article with Gandhi. When the missionary E. Stanley Jones met with Gandhi, he asked him, Mr. Gandhi, though you quote the words of Christ often, why is it that you appear to so adamantly reject becoming his follower? Gandhi replied, oh, I don't reject Christ. I love Christ. I love your Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike your Christ. So many of us are tares or in danger of becoming tares, we actually become poison to Gandhi and poison to an unbelieving world. Gandhi's closest with Christianity began when he was a young man practicing law in South Africa. Apart from being attached with the Christian faith, he intently studied the Bible and the teachings of Jesus and was also seriously exploring becoming a Christian, seriously exploring becoming a Christian, which led him to the discovery of a small church in his neighborhood. After deciding to attend the church service in South Africa, he came across a racial barrier. The church barred his way at the door. Where do you think you're going, Kafir? An Englishman asked Gandhi in a belligerent tone. Gandhi replied, 
I'd like to attend worship here. The church elder, the church elder, the church elder, the Jesus elder, the one who's supposed to lead us in what it means to live out the gospel, to love one another and to love neighbor. The church elder snarled at him, there's no room for kafirs in this church. Get out of here or I'll have my assistants throw you down the steps. So many of us are in danger of being tares or are tares. We keep people away. We've become poison with our exclusion, with our judgment. And this parable says, be careful. It kept me giggling all week that I was trying not to um, call the sermon the terrible parable. <laughs> <laughs> Because in so many ways, it's terrible that we've become poison. It's terrible that Gandhi couldn't get into worship that day. It's terrible that our brothers and sisters of all different lifestyles don't feel welcome, don't feel cared for in our churches. It's terrible. The result, as we're going to get into the parable of what God does with tares, is also terrible. It's a tough passage. To a Christian missionary, Gandhi once said to finish up this article, to live the gospel, to live it out, is the most effective way, most effective in the beginning, in the middle, and in the end. Not just preach about the gospel, but live the life according to the light. If, therefore, you go on serving people and ask them also to serve, the world would understand. He said this, I think this is so important. He said, look, if Christians, earlier in the article, if Christians those that call themselves by Jesus' name would act like Jesus. All of India, this is his quote, all of India would have become Christian. If you and I, brothers and sisters, can move from being tares to being wheat and reflect in our lives the life of Jesus to forgive our enemy, to go to where we're supposed to be, to walk the extra mile, to give our cloak away, to pursue relationships in that kind of manner, to forgive our enemies and pray for our enemies and go above and beyond to eat with people we shouldn't and gather with people we shouldn't, that if our lives would reflect Jesus in a powerful way, all of Castro Valley would become Christian. That's what I want to see. Is that what you want to see? Then we have to stop being tares. We have to be filled and produce fruit in a different way. Martin Luther King said the same thing in a letter from a Birmingham jail. He said this. The judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, this is written in 1963, the sacrificial spirit of the early church. Do you know what the non-Christian historian said about the early church that was growing by thousands, by the way? Do you know what they said about them? The word they use in non-Christian history to describe the early church in Greek means those who love well. That's how they describe the early church. See, the early church, they would take the, all the welfare. They would take the sick. They would take the poor. They would take the widows, Christian widows, non-Christian widows, community widows, non-community widows, and they would go give as much as they can. They would sell houses to give to the poor. They would sell houses to give to the orphan. They would do all that work. Did you know that if just one family, just one family, one family out of 10% of all the Christian churches would adopt an orphan, just one family, 
10% of all the Christian churches would adopt one orphan, there would be no more orphans. Just one family in 10% of the churches. Did you know that? Early church was doing that. They were loving in that manner. And people couldn't stop putting their nose to the glass and trying to get in. 1963, if today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity. Check. Forfeit the loyalty of millions. Check. And be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Check. You know there's so many people in this world of the 160,000 that don't know Jesus. They know what we stand against. They do not know what we stand for. There's a difference. Every day I meet young people whose disappointment with the church has turned into outright disgust. They're not seeing us do our job. Because some of us are tares or in danger of becoming them. The other day, oh, I'm going to get myself in trouble. Oh, let me say this. I love Jesus. Okay? <laughs> Remember that. Scripture says to love God and love neighbor. These are the, everything hangs on these two commandments. I've really been praying when my brother Franklin Graham comes out and says that our homosexual brothers and sisters are the enemy. That they're the enemy. What if Jesus, talking about living out the gospel, oh, this breaks, this breaks my heart. What if Jesus would have walked by Zacchaeus up in that tree? Because he was a tax collector. And just would have said, those guys are the enemy. Don't have meals with them. Don't eat with them. Don't gather with them. Don't be around them. Let's get in little holy huddles and try and protect ourselves and not engage the world. What if he would have said to Mary Magdalene, you're the enemy. You're sleeping with multiple men. You're a prostitute and a whore. You're the enemy. Love God and love neighbor. You know in the Leviticus section when it says about love neighbor, it says do no harm to your neighbor. I don't need to get into because the whole community of the church is divided around the issue of our homosexual brothers and sisters. I won't get into it, but I won't get into this. No matter what you feel about that as a lifestyle, the scripture says do no harm. The scripture says love your neighbor, and in Leviticus, really what it's coming from, it says do no harm to your neighbor. Do you know that our homosexual brothers and sisters are in high school, commit suicide at three times the rate because of what Jesus' people say? That's true, y'all, because of what Jesus' people say. Some of us are in danger of becoming tares. Ooh. Matthew 13, 24 through 30. I just realized that y'all don't have a screen for me to see. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you have a pew Bible, turn there. Take your time because I'm going to take mine. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, 
his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Now the owner's servants came to him and they said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, Jesus replied. He replied, God himself with skin on replied, an enemy did this. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them, let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, God will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, collect the tares, tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He explains the parable later in verse 36. He left the crowd, went into the house, and his disciples came to him and they said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field, Jesus. And he answered, The one who sowed the good seed is God, the Son of Man. The one who sowed the good seed, there is good seed in good soil that is meant to give salt and light and love and care and engage human trafficking and engage systemic racism and engage the issues of our day and time to reach out with great love outside of the bounds of this place. The church isn't ever meant to have a mission program. The mission of God to redeem and bring shalom to a world has a church. Write that down and know the difference. The church doesn't have a mission program. There's no such thing. All of us are on mission. All of us are missionaries right where God has put you to be salt, to be light, to be grace, to be love, to be extraordinary, to be sacrificial, to be Jesus right where he's already put you in your homes, in your workplaces, in your families, in the neighborhood where he's put you. The church doesn't have a mission program. The mission of God to redeem a broken world has a church. It's different. It's a paradigm shift for many. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds, catch it now. The weeds are the sons of evil. And the enemy who sows them, this is God talking and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. They will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and who do evil. Everything that pushes people away, everything that's poison, everyone that caused someone to stumble, every judgment, every exclusion, every heartache, they will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. That should ring true for us today. He who has ears, let him hear what the God is saying to us. Just a few things we've learned that I've learned. What do we learn from this parable? There is an owner and he plants good seed that falls in good soil. There's so many Amazing people in this world who are taking extra steps. Uh, Danny and I um, were having a kid competition. I arrived and I had three. Danny had four. So my wife and I adopted another one. Now we have four. And then Danny goes and gets competitive. <laughs> and adopts two more. 
There are amazing people in this world who do amazing things like that. Amazing people who do amazing things all throughout. There is an owner. That God owns the field. Never let go of that fact that God owns the field. There is also, however, an enemy. Let's be honest, folks. Let's have a family meeting. The greatest lie that we've ever been told that the devil has tricked us into is that he does not exist. Folks, that is a biblical lie. God himself says there is an enemy who plants seed among the church, who plants seed wherever you go. And by the way, I hope that just absolutely destroys any notion of a pure church. There's no such thing biblically. Wherever there's weeds, there's wheat. Wherever there's tares, there's wheat. There's wheat and there's tares. There's both. Wherever you go. No such thing as pure, no such thing as castle, always kingdom and bridges. There is an enemy who plants bad seed on purpose. So an unbelieving world can't see Jesus in us. We learn that wheat and tares look alike until they produce fruit. This is not a new concept, that wheat and tares, I think we have a picture, do we have a picture of wheat and tares? Look at that. So they'll grow together and at the very last minute, one will look a little bit different than the other. But their stalks look the same. In fact, if you're a farmer, you would know that tares actually grow faster and they suck nutrients out of the soil and they cause all kinds of divisions among the wheat and that tares block the sun, all the light that wheat needs to grow, they block. That wheat and tares look alike until they produce fruit. So many of us, we look like Jesus followers. We come to church, we go to small group, we give. But when it comes to producing fruit, it's not fruit of the kingdom. Jesus goes after nobody harder in the scripture than who? Than the Pharisees who memorize scripture, who study the Torah, who try to live as close to God as they can because they're producing bad fruit. Some of us are tares today. Some of us are in danger of becoming tares and God wants us all to become wheat. God wants us all to become wheat. Here's another truth that we learned from the parable. The servants can see the tares. Did you notice that? The servants say back to God, God, there's tares in your field. There's, there's, <laughs> there's folks who in your name are producing bad fruit. There's tares in your field. And that fruit, by the way, we're going to get into just for shortly. Because I'm, I know I'm running out of time. And Larry told me that if I go over, he, they just release all the kids into the sanctuary. <laughs> 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 just joking <laughs> told you I was funny the servants can see the tares there is a role for accountability within the people of God to look at one another and say that's not like what Jesus would do that's a role for me to say to my brothers and sisters that kind of hate and that kind of exclusion and that is not loving the poor loving the widow, loving the orphan loving the alien, loving the undocumented whatever language you want to use in this day and time that scripture says we're supposed to be doing over 5,000 times there's room in there for us as servants of one another to say that's not fruit man We've got this message of wheat. We've got to get it out there. You're not helping. That's tares. We are not free, however, to judge and to exclude on either side of this fence. 
There was a day in my history when I was in a college ministry, um, and I would spend most of my time, I didn't drink a lot in college, if you can believe that, but my friends sure did. I lived with a bunch of football players. They were great guys, and so I was the designated driver almost every weekend. Uh, a lot of good stories from that, if you want to know them. Uh, and the college ministry called me in to the office, and they, and they said, look, you can't be involved with us anymore. You can't be a small group leader. You can't be in leadership because you're at these parties. And my response was, isn't that where Jesus would be? Wow, the perception, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I was angry. I went to the back of the sanctuary of the church where the college ministry was. And I remember sitting there praying. And I will never forget this day because sometimes God's voice comes so clear. And God said to me, Jake, by calling people judgmental, you're actually being judgmental. We don't get to pull out the other weeds. It's not our job. Servants can see it. They can see it. They can hold people accountable to it. They don't get to remove people. They don't get to judge people. They don't get to rip that out. That's God's job. And he will do it. Last, last thing I can learn is this. We don't like it, but it's true. Judgment is coming. We like to avoid it. Never talk about it. Kind of never understand that it exists. Same thing like we do with the enemy. No, the enemy doesn't. No, the enemy exists, and so does a judgment. When God says, that's it. I'm taking the tares, I'm pulling them up, I'm ripping them out myself, it's harvest time, and I'm burning them in the fire. It's not the first time God has said it either. And there's a lot of scary passages around this. Go to Malachi 3, verse 5. If you, up, right there. Old Testament. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive aliens of justice, who don't live out the heart of God, the compassion of God for people, who linger too far in their own rules and their own places and their own ability to draw boxes and say, you're out of the kingdom, you're in the kingdom. You don't get to do that. Your job is to be Jesus right where he has put you, in a Sermon on the Mount way. That's Malachi 3. Go to Matthew 25, verses 41 through 45. You can see it again. I'm not the, and by the way, if you have issues with these verses, please don't take them up with me. They're not my words. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was naked, you gave me no clothes. I was in jail, you didn't come visit me. You weren't a voice for the voiceless. You didn't stand up in solidarity with the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the And we will say, well, if we would have known it was you, Jesus, we wouldn't have done it. The beauty of that passage in Matthew 25 is they didn't even know they were doing it. If you read it carefully, it's a description of the people who know the gospel. It's a description of people who love Jesus. Not a commandment. It's a description of how we will know what is wheat and what is tare. And if you're not doing these things naturally, if they're not pouring out of you naturally, you might be a tare. You're in danger of becoming a tare. Matthew 7 
verses 18 through 23. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. Every piece of wheat bears wheat, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize wheat and you will recognize tare. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Not by their name, not because they're in the building. You guys have all heard the phrase. Just because you're in a church doesn't mean you're a Christian. Doesn't mean you know the gospel. Just because you're in a garage doesn't mean that you're a car. You will <laughs> that one still gets me. I've heard it a thousand times, man. You'll know them by their fruit. By their fruit, brothers and sisters. What is your fruit? What is it? What are you producing around you? Are you keeping people away from the kingdom? Or are you going above and beyond to welcome them in? Are you naturally finding yourself drifting towards the poor and the widow and the orphan and the oppressed and issues of justice? You cannot know the gospel. Tim Keller wrote a great book called Generous Justice. You cannot know the love of God and not be driven to justice. It doesn't work. You are when you know the love of God. How do I then, for me, at least this is for me, you guys might not care, but I would like to avoid eternal fire. So then the question becomes, how do you become wheat? And for many of us, God is speaking to you right now, and he's saying, you and I, you've got some tarishness in your soul. How do you become wheat? By our own, this is the beauty of the gospel, you cannot make yourself into wheat. But Jesus can. In some kind of deeper theological sense, all of us are tares. Wages of sin is death. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. There's this passage in John 15 that I think helps us. Let's turn, we can. You want to produce fruit? You find yourself so deep in the love of God that you can't help but produce it. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he or she will bear much fruit. Apart from me, say it with me, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from him, you can't bear fruit. With him. And I hope and I pray, this is my hope and my prayer, that all of us will be convicted by some of these passages that like in Matthew 7, that's so convicting. And it says, Lord, we did all these things in your name. And he'll say, I never knew you. That the way to become wheat is to fall to your knees and let the love of God and the gospel that Jesus died for you, that he rose again for you, completely consume and overwhelm your soul. And as you fall to your knees in those moments, and you realize that God loves you no matter what, 
He loves you through your addiction. He can break every chain. He loves you through your mistakes. He loves you through your just looking at God and saying, I'm going to be disobedient because I'm going to be disobedient. He loves you through all of that, that you hit your knees and you let that love of God overwhelm you and wash away the shame and wash away the guilt and wash away the fear and wash away these things. And you'll find yourself as you abide in him and you spend time with him, not because you should or you have to or you ought to, but because you can't help yourself. You want to come to church in the morning. You want to study scripture in the morning. You want to do those things in the morning, you will find yourself in this place and compassion will pour out of you without you even knowing it. Because that would happen in Matthew, you can clap, go ahead, it's all right. In Matthew 25, that's what happens when Jesus says, you guys, you gave me clothes, you gave me food, you gave me strength, you reached out, you took in extra kids to your home, you fostered a kid when you had extra space, you gave up sacrificially, you did those things for me. And they'll say, Jesus, we didn't know it was you. And he says, that's perfect because it just poured out of them. It was a description. It wasn't a commandment. To be there, to be weak, means to fall on your knees and let the love of God wash over you. And to abide in the vine. Apart from the vine, you and I both can do nothing. Amen? Let me finish with this. One last quote, I think. When the Spirit of God this is by Jonathan Edwards. I gotta get, I'm a Presbyterian. This is our Presbyterian guy. Gotta get one in. <laughs> when the Spirit of God enables us to fully understand, fully understand that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's nothing you can do to separate you from the love of God. You are always a 10. You can't turn it up and you can't turn it down. When the Spirit enables us to fully understand what Jesus Christ has done for us, the result the fruit, the way you can know Jesus knows is by the fruit if we're wheat or if we're tear. The result is a life poured out in deeds of justice and compassion for the poor. When the Spirit enables us to fully understand what Jesus has done for us, the result is a life poured out with justice and compassion for the poor. Let the people of CV and Hayward and San Lorenzo, San Lorenzo and San Leandro and the East Bay and wherever we go and wherever we are, say those people, they love like Jesus did. And what Gandhi said doesn't apply to us because we live out the gospel and we serve in that way. If you want to see revival in our neighborhood, if you want to see that, let's be wheat. Let's abide. Let's pour ourselves out with compassion and justice. Amen? Here's what I want to do as the band comes up. I'm going to pray, but I want to give you a chance just to respond. If you're sitting in your seat and God has spoken something to you somewhere, somehow, as I'm praying, just stand up. Give a kinetic response to God that says, I don't want to be a terror. I want you to pour your love out upon me. I want to be wheat. As I'm praying, just stand. And then we'll finish our time together.